Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Tubaugh, and I, on behalf of all of us at BDO, appreciate you tuning in for another episode of Restaurant Industry Insights. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify each month, but we encourage you to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes as they come out. For our podcast today, we'll again be joined by Dana Zakowski of BDO as our moderator for the episode. The benefits of working with these great people at BDO is that we can bring them on to lead discussions with amazing individuals we invite to join us. Today, Dana is joined by Carolyn Richmond, who's been a speaker at our restaurant CFO bootcamp event in the past, and we're excited to have her join our podcast. Happy to turn it over to Dana. Thanks, Jeff, so much for that introduction. And as you mentioned, today we are with Carolyn Richmond from Fox Rothschild. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks to BDO. Yes, of course. And Carolyn, I'm lucky enough to not only call a professional friend, but a friend in real life. And as I was thinking about how to start the introduction today, I was remembering the last time I think there was a really big issue was when we were discussing wage and hour. And that's really when Carolyn and I had a chance to meet each other. So I guess doing a flashback, Carolyn, do you want to talk a little bit about you and in your introduction, how you started and how you got to where we are today at Fox Rothschild? I think that discussion about wage and hour was a little over a dozen years ago, and it was literally at the beginning of uh, the hospitality industry being under the uh, gun, so to speak. Um, But I can give you a little background. I've been practicing labor and employment law on the side of management for the last 26 years The bulk of that time has actually been specializing in hospitality, Um, but the real specialization came from meeting Steve Hansen, who was then the owner and operator of Be Our Guest Restaurants, and I joined his team about 17 years ago in-house as the general counsel for Be Our Guest Restaurants, and at the time, I started about two days before we bought our first James Hotel brand property. Um, so ever since then, um, I went back outhouse, as as we say in law, and joined a firm. And over the last 15 years or so, my practice has continued to grow and really specialize in all aspects of food service, from small mom and pop restaurants to some of the biggest national and international franchises, hotels, caterers, nightclubs anything with the word hospitality involved with a food or a drink. And that's what we do. We spend a lot of time um, defending wage and hour suits. And my personal preference is all the preventative work on auditing, um, working with the corporate teams and financial teams during an acquisition, really evaluating the human capital components. And we do day-to-day advice of the pandemic being um, perhaps one of the most challenging parts of my career that requires 24-7 responses. If we start there and then we can go backwards to some of the other stuff, 
clearly the pandemic's affected our restaurant industry here in New York and throughout the country. And every day there's champions trying to figure out how do we fix this? And I think where you and your team have really been super helpful is working with the restaurateurs since March on, we need to cut back, we need to either lay off or furlough people, and we don't know where to start. So could you talk a little bit about how you were helpful there and some of the strategies people took? And then from there, maybe we'll talk about what's been successful and how how so. Sure. I've always considered my practice to be one similar to a firefighter. You never know what call you're going to have that day. Um, This has been literally, I'm sorry for mixing metaphors, but trial by fire every single day of the last nine months. It, It started in March with the initial closures. And quite frankly, I don't think in any of our lifetimes or that of either even the generation ahead of us, have we had orders closing restaurants. We we've closed because of earthquakes and hurricanes, occasionally violence, but never such a widespread government orders. So the first was really figuring out how do we terminate? And the biggest issue for everybody was compliance with the WARN Act. And the WARN Act is a federal uh, legislation that came about in the mid-1970s to deal with plant closures and shutdowns. And essentially, it was an act designed for notification to give employees an opportunity to know in advance that their business was going to do either a a severe um, reduction in force or quite simply a closure. And it provided notice periods, 60 days, 90 days, whatever was required was to provide employees with notice. So we had to deal with that. So Carolyn, when you mentioned the Warren Act, you said that it started so long ago with the factories, which made sense then, but it really hasn't been used since then, right? So people probably weren't even aware that it was a thing or were people aware? Yeah, it has been used consistently. It certainly came out of the 70s and the financial, the oil crisis, um, when we really did move from a manufacturing to a service industry. And we had massive plant closures throughout the Midwest, the South, quite frankly, everywhere. Um, Over the last 40 years, Warren has continued to become um, a statute that was used because we certainly have sent after NAFTA, we had many closings and businesses from time to time do actually shut down or they move or relocate from Seattle to South Carolina. So the act has been fairly active. You just didn't really hear about it because it usually came up again with a closure or maybe a move. Uh, but it's never been in this circumstance where we were going to close for some period of time where it was unknown. It wasn't a permanent closure. We didn't know in March if it was going to be 30 days, if it was going to be two weeks or indefinitely. And that created a lot of tension and misinformation because first we do have two statutes. You have federal warn and a lot of states like New York, New Jersey, California have their own statutes as well. And that was a paperwork issue. This industry has become very used to class action lawsuits for minutia and ridiculous paperwork <laughs> violations. And that was really the issue with Warren. Um, the whole world knew businesses were closing. It wasn't a surprise. And quite frankly, people didn't have other places to get work from. So the purpose of the statute seems somewhat diluted. Nonetheless, uh, the you can have severe financial penalties if you violate it. So that was issue one. 
Right. So you worked with the companies, obviously, to make sure that they were compliant there, especially a lot of these restaurant people, even though it's been around, probably just didn't know about it because it wasn't relevant to their no one day. No one knew about it. Mm-hmm. And um, since over the last nine months, the statutes have been um, amended. There have been new regulations in New York. Now we actually have to provide notice um, to essentially school boards, counties, very different than March. So it's like much of the law. It's an, it's an organism that's growing. Um, but that was issue one, figuring out if we were terminating, were we calling it a layoff? Were we calling it a furlough? And I'd say the first 60 days, there was just constant conversation everywhere on how to characterize um, the leave. That was one. And then the second big issue was PPP, um, what to do with the money. And did it apply? Could you? What could you use it for? And this too was nothing like business has ever dealt with before. We didn't have regulations. PPP did not um, easily fit into the scheme of how restaurants, as you know, operate. Mm-hmm. So I'd say through the summer there was a heck of a lot of chaos about what could you use the money for and how. And great, it might be a little bit of a bridge, but what was going to happen next? And Frankly, we're still waiting to see what happens next and if there'll be more money. Right. And what people could and couldn't. I think that's where you and I collaborated a lot on from the HR side and from the accounting side to make sure that we were all in agreement with some of the language being used in the PPP stuff. And now moving forward. Yeah, this was we were working hand in hand, lawyers and accountants throughout this, because one, we were all operating from the same premise. Nobody knew what this was, and it was literally being written um, as the money was going out. So this certainly has been an all hands on deck for anyone. And now as we end the year, and again, we've written a million blogs on it, and there's so much information on our website, and I'm sure on yours too, of now that the PPP has been used in this first round and what's forgiven and what's not and how to account for it. So at least we're moving forward in that direction, depending on how we are. (laughs) I spoke to my first um, operator today outside of New York, certainly who actually said that they were going to more than break even this year. Thanks to PPP. That's not something I hear from anyone in um, the state of New York. But it was nice to hear that at least in other parts of the country, the money was helpful. And this particular group of restaurants was really looking to us to help them move forward and build once this is over. And I hope that's going to be an increasing conversation for both of us in the near future. Um, But right now, there's not enough of those conversations. Right. Definitely not yet. So agree. I hope that those are the conversations we're having going forward. And I hope that there is some form of relief in some way, shape or form for everyone. And so now that people are figuring out what they could do and who they could keep and who they're getting, who they're furloughing or laying off now, what's next? So a restaurant group has closed primarily like their main business, right? Their dining rooms might be closed or at least reduced in a very significant way. They may or may not have delivery. They may or may not have takeout and their staffing is, reduced because the sales are reduced. What are you talking to your clients and other restaurant insiders about to make them be able to take this time to really evaluate what's been happening and use this time wisely? Sure. And again, I I can't emphasize enough the chaos 
that the last nine months has brought. I mean, just to go back for a minute, the other big area that's uh, been a concern has been the paid sick leave and just dealing with the day-to-day quarantining, who gets paid, who doesn't, using PTO. And once again, we already had a lot of changes to state laws in this area before the pandemic. We expect federal law to change, but there were even more changes during the pandemic. And this too affected the bottom line because restaurants who aren't operating and have no income have a hard time paying out uh, a week or two for quarantining. So that was yet another issue. So again, this is truly um, operating in a 10 alarm fire um, and you're getting hit from every direction. But it's the end of the year. I know we all make our jokes about 2020. Um, We don't know what 2021 will bring, but I've been advising my clients, and I know we've talked about this before, that you need to use this time wisely. While you certainly want to direct your attention to sandbagging your restaurant, essentially, and making sure you can last through the rest of this pandemic, if you have any chance of going forward, you want to also look, per, you know, look prospectively. What should change? What are the lessons we've learned? Um, this is a great time to audit your employment practices. Obviously, you guys spend an enormous of time look, time looking at the finances. But I've advised people to do wage and hour audits. That's the first part. Make sure you are looking now and making um, making sure your exemptions are correct. Are line cooks properly classified as non-exempt? Do your managers all meet the exemption of from overtime requirement or not? You know, the statute of limitations vary uh, two to six years across the country. And it's a very expensive mistake if you have to reclassify and pay back pay. Um, and you're going to be opening probably at a deficit when you finally can open at 100%. So the risk of a wage and hour suit is even that more traumatizing. Um, This is an essential period of time to use um, to try and keep those suits at bay. And by that, I mean, if you do the audit and realize that you have an exemption uh, issue, maybe this is a good time to figure out how can we solve that? Can we make a back pay payment now to those employees, give them a simple release of wage claims and move on. It might make less of an impact if you're doing it now when people aren't making any money. Um, So there's a lot of strategic decisions as far as what your risk is. Do we have service charge uh, problems with event contracts and catering and hotels? Are there tipping issues in those states that take the tip credit, Um, sometimes known as the 80-20 or the two-hour rule? So now's the time to figure out, are you looking at the potential of millions of dollars in suits um, in the near future? And can you stop it? So if these are the things that people should be looking at, where do they start? So again, like you said, there might be limited resources right now financially. So you have some people in-house who might have managerial duties, who might be on salary. Are these people that could start helping you? What what should people be looking at and where where are they starting? I have yet to find a restaurant or hospitality employer that was 100% perfect. The laws just don't sync with the business, and there's always going to be some risk. Um, Where to start is sometimes a tough question. 
I do not like having these audits done in-house. I don't like controllers and accountants or HR doing them themselves for a number of reasons. One, they're not trained lawyers, so they're not spotting the issues that they could be sued on. Um, but more importantly, it's not a privileged document. And one of the best advantages of using an attorney is you often have the attorney-client privilege. And you have a better shot at preserving your audit and the results if it's led by an outside attorney. Um, and there's a few rules and caveats that go with that. But if, you turn, if it turns out your audit shows that you have massive risk, you have millions of dollars of risk because of overtime, I'd rather not keep that um, document, keep, keep that public. I'd rather preserve the privilege so we don't have to turn it over later if there's an investigation or suit. So speaking to your accountants, speaking to your lawyers would be the first step and try and assess now where your risk likely is. And when we do audits, there's really just two main um, areas we look at. First and foremost is wage and hour because it's the most, um, it's the riskiest area with most high stakes losses. The second element is an employment audit of personnel files insurance, making sure you have your paperwork right, which sounds simple. It's not. You run the risk of a lot of statutory fines from agencies um, in particular if your I-9s are not done properly, if your payroll doesn't dot every I and cross every T for the location you're operating in, um, if you don't have today uh, proper sign-offs for harassment training and policies. And I think, so again, back to how you were talking about potential lawsuit and issues that might be arising. So those are things that we can look back and see, okay, did we make this mistake? How can we fix it now so that going forward, we don't have it? Again, with people cutting staff, I know just as a regular consumer, I try to eat out when I can. I go to the restaurants. I know my local restaurants. I know who the managers are. They're now in a lot of situations, I'm watching them help serve. I'm watching them bus tables. What should, what, how are we enforcing and making sure that in today's environment where we are cutting, where restaurants are cutting staff and there are less people on the floor, that everything is being done right so that in six months, nine months, 12 months, it's not the staff from today coming back and saying, yes, I worked during, through the pandemic, but my manager took my job or the manager saying, I should have taken the tips. What are things we should be doing now and reevaluating possibly titles or exempt versus non-exempt? So I think you hit the nail on the head and with the manager example. Um, restaurants were in just a no-win or owners were in a no-win situation. Do we keep our line employees? Do I keep managers but demote them? And those that did it right recognized early on that if they wanted to keep their managers first um, and wanted them to do delivery, take orders, clean, that's fine. You can require them. But as you suggested, it's likely going to be a violation of overtime rules. If they're not spending the majority of their time doing managerial or executive uh, functions, that's a risk. Now, if you were hardly open and the managers were still only getting 35 hours a week or 30 hours, we're not going to hit 40 and it's not an overtime. But that's something that people need to be looking at and seeing, did we change jobs so much that they're in a different classification? 
The other program, um, the other problem is also um, going forward. Do we need to cross train more people? Do we need our porters to easily transfer to busser or runner positions? Um, right now, we haven't needed bartenders, certainly in New York, because you only had a service bar that could operate. Could we have those bartenders doing other things? And every time you make those decisions, it does implicate different rules, particularly when it comes to wage and hour. Um, so I'm kind of selling myself and our profession as you really need a labor lawyer on speed dial, but, but it's true. And you and I both hear the complaints. We don't want to spend the money. And I get it, but it's all too easy to turn and say five or $10,000 now on an audit um, or an upgrade of policy literally can change um, your future. And it could save you millions if you just spend a little now and get the paperwork right. Right. And again, yes, plugging yourself and talking about all the things you guys do, it definitely does save money. But where I think you've also been very helpful, you and some of the other professionals is with associations, whether it be the National Restaurant Association or here in New York, I know you're super active with the Hospitality Alliance. So I think a lot of the resources you're talking about are available if someone has a single unit and is looking for just some guidance, right? It's not that anyone should be overly intimidated by having to call the attorney right away. No, but I I think that's probably Uh one of the things that most frustrates me. It's that we've spent um, an enormous amount of time working with the National Restaurant Association, the Golden Gate group in San Francisco, the Alliance in New York. We have these terrific employer groups that provide so much information, but it's no different than any industry. When times are going well and things are good, nah, I'm not going to give you that money. Well, (laughs) now we're in that horrible situation where we really need people to help. um, And there's not necessarily money for it. So it's great to rely on all these groups, but I encourage even the smallest operator, you have to become active in it during the good times too, because you need to make sure we can lobby and frankly, make sure that we don't have a ban on employees using bathrooms. Right. Um, and it's, to your point, and like we we were talking about different issues that happened clearly in New York, just because that's where we both are, to be able to tell drivers they can't come in and use the bathrooms or the facilities is just completely crazy. And then you need groups like your local alliances or local associations to help you to navigate that because as a group, we do come in much stronger. We're one of the top five employers in the country is the restaurant association. So, yeah, but well, I'd say one of the other problems though of that is you referred to the small, the small businesses. We, we know major franchisors and international companies have HR departments and finance departments and legal departments. But for your small business owners, whether it's retail or hospitality, they don't have the money. We, we get that for an HR department and certainly not for their own in, in-house counsel. But you have to be your own best advocate. And between your, your firm and mine and everyone else, we've put out millions of alerts over the last nine months. Now, sometimes it's a little hard to figure out who do you listen to, but I think it's incumbent on small business owners to get that network, whether it's an employer group, whether it's BDO or Fox Rothschilds or any of our uh, very uh, nice competitors. 
they put out a lot of free information and you have to take on the responsibility and learn the laws. This is an amazing industry when it works, but to get it to work really truly takes a village. There are so many regulatory uh, responsibilities and you're dealing with such a diverse workplace that we got a lot of issues and you have to be able to at least issue spot and know who to call. Right. And I think to your point, there are, our firms obviously are the best because otherwise we wouldn't be talking to each other, but as, there are great other firms out there. And I think not only are, is, are we all good and we're friends and we're collaborative, I think the industry as a whole, there is no one more collaborative. So if you're listening and you have questions and you reach out to any professional service provider who works in restaurants, everyone's going to take a call with you. Everyone's going to answer those basic questions. They might not get into the nitty gritty, but I talk to friends who work in other industries and tell them some of the things, conversations, candidly, Carolyn, that you've had with clients or I've had with clients, you know, in an anonymous way. And they're like, oh, you just do that with anyone? And yeah, because we're, even though we're accountants and attorneys, we're hospitality people. And I think that it comes across in all the professional service people that we are friends with. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, Before I really specialized in hospitality, I worked a lot on finance and manufacturing, and I know my way around a steel mill for better or worse. I've seen other industries. They're just isn't they're just as competitive as we are. But but you're right. It's a lot more. Let me keep this to myself. And hospitality, maybe because it is hospitality and about relationships, we're all in it together. We are incredibly competitive. One week we know one club is up. The next week it's another or another type of concept. But everybody really does help and you have to take those opportunities. And you're right. We've done so many free counseling sessions and trainings, but you have to try and stay at least a half step ahead of this. Um, and, and just to get into the substance a little more, we're heading into 2021. Um, we're going to have litigation and we're going to have litigation over what we've spoken about, certainly over the issues of overtime and classification and tips. But we're also seeing an increase in discrimination claims. And this will be a little controversial, but somewhat we're getting surprising harassment claims that should have been brought up when people were employed. But because the economy is so bad now and they don't have a job, um, you're doing everything you can to survive yourself. So we're seeing more claims now that more likely either wouldn't have happened or would have been brought uh, at a different period of time. So I think we've got to be prepared that next year we're going to see a, a very big increase in litigation. Um, the timing couldn't be worse because because of the pandemic, a lot of restaurants are not being are not getting EPLI insurance for next year. And that's a big deal, too. If you lose coverage, um, that's going to make you sleep even less. So we just didn't we really try and uh, implore everybody to take the time now and assess your human capital, assess whether these are the managers you want in place when you can start opening again, assess whether these employees are the ones we truly want. Is this concept working for us? Should we? remodel our labor and approach. Do whatever you can now to set yourself up to to win. Sorry for the cliche, but to win in 2021. Right. No, and I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of the conversations we're having on this podcast are going to 
end in the same way that you just said is really take this time, assess what you're doing, whether it be with your employees, with your handbooks, with your wage an hour, or some of the other topics we're going to talk about, you know, as we move forward with real estate and some other stuff. But it really is the time to stop, focus, and make sure, is this what you want to be doing? Is Are you doing it well? Are you doing it the best you can? And if not, how do we turn that around? And Carolyn, I thank you so much for your time today. And everyone, Carolyn's information is going to be in the, blo- in the blurb at the podcast. So reach out to her, reach out to us and anything we can help you with, I think, and Carolyn could say the same. We're all here to succeed together and let's make 2021 a great year. So thank you, Carolyn. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you to BDO as well. And I look forward to hopefully seeing everybody in person soon. Thank you for listening to BDO to go past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO to go, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.